I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. Here's to season three of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The Baton Rouge area had a number of influences, Native American, French, English, and Spanish. It was likely the subject of much colonial attention because it was the first bluff on the Mississippi River north of the Gulf of Mexico. Legend has it that the city was named Red Stick or Baton Rouge because Native Americans would impale animal heads on top of sticks as a means of sacrifice. They used fish and bear and other animals. And it's theorized that these sticks may have designated the boundaries at a point separating the hunting grounds of the Bayou Gula and the Homa Indian tribes. Louisiana was admitted into the Union on April 8, 1812. Baton Rouge was incorporated in 1817, and it became the state capital in 1849. It is currently the second largest city in Louisiana and boasts the largest population of all of Louisiana's 64 parishes. Because of its roots, Baton Rouge has become an eclectic mix of culture, religion, and food, and is known as a hub for its delicious Cajun and Creole cuisine. Baton Rouge is also very family-friendly, with numerous parks and recreational areas where families can enjoy picnics, sporting events, and nature walks. The city also hosts many events throughout the year, including festivals, parades, and cultural celebrations. But in 1984, parents hugged their children tighter when they heard the shocking news that one family's betrayal led to another family's grief. Ten-year-old Joseph Plache, who went by Jody, lived with his two brothers, one younger and one older, as well as his older sister in Baton Rouge. His 35-year-old mother, June, was known as a dedicated and protective mother. Jody's father, 39-year-old Gary, was a heavy equipment salesman and had once served as a staff sergeant in the U.S. Air Force. Gary attended Louisiana State University and loved the LSU Tigers and the New Orleans Saints. He was known as a good guy and had a really good sense of humor. June and Gary were very involved in their children's sporting activities. Gary was often coaching, and when he wasn't, he was at every ball game. The kids played various sports, and Jody particularly was an enthusiastic athlete playing basketball, soccer, and baseball. Around 1982, when Jody was 10 years old and in the fifth grade, he was given a flyer at school for karate classes. He threw it away, but when his little brother brought an identical flyer home and expressed interest, Jody's mom signed up all three boys for karate. June convinced her friend to put her son in as well. The boys went to one lesson, and the instructor never returned. Kath, this was a scam. He took all the sign-up money and dipped. A new instructor entered the scene and agreed to take on all the students. This instructor had an actual karate studio, had the kids wear uniforms, had workout equipment, and was generally more professional. This new instructor was 25-year-old Jeff DeSette, who grew up in Port Arthur, Texas, just a few hours away. He also worked as a carpet layer for his brother's business. Jeff was one of seven children and grew up without many advantages. He dropped out of school in the ninth grade, but was respected for his service in the Marine Corps. He led a very disciplined life and was an ideal karate instructor. The kids were required to work out hard, and Jeff was known for his rigorous routine of 100 push-ups, 300 sit-ups, and 5-mile runs. 
The kids were impressed by his Korean-style karate with high kicks, swords, and nunchucks. And parents liked him because he required his students to have good manners and respect adults. In a 1983 article that ran in the local paper, June Plache was quoted as saying that Jeff had greatly improved her children's athletic ability, especially the youngest, who used to be extremely uncoordinated. (laughs) I know. Can you imagine all the friends who saw that? (laughs) Exactly. She also said Jeff taught them not to fight with their parents. Her son Jody was quoted as saying, He's everyone's best friend, and we don't get in trouble at school. At some point, when Jeff asked Jody's mom if he could take the boys out to a movie, she called her brother in law enforcement and asked him to check Jody out. Even though June and Gary knew Jeff as a karate instructor, they didn't know him personally. There was nothing about his background that was concerning, and so the boys were allowed to go. Jody seemed attached to Jeff, and after that, Jeff was allowed to take Jody and his friends on various outings. Jeff wanted to take the kids to karate tournaments and had the idea for a business in order to make money to pay for travel to these competitions. And Kath, I believe it was selling Louisiana State University merchandise. Had you read that as well? Yeah, he had this idea that he was going to, let me think about this, buy mugs and bandanas and sell them at a local convenience store. And then I believe he got permission from the convenience store owner to sell them. Now, eventually, Jeff was able to take some of his students to tournaments in Texas, Florida, and California. He was a big brother type to the kids, and they enjoyed being around him. They went skating, they went to the movies. He was just an all-around good guy. Eventually, Jeff was even invited to the Plochet home for dinner and game nights, becoming part of their family. That same year, so this is still 1983, when Jody was 10, things were actually not all that rosy in the Plochet household. The four kids were keeping June busy, and it was reported that she was not happy. She believed Gary drank too much, but Gary said it was part of his job as a salesman to entertain. And Kath, I read somewhere, and I hesitate to even say this because I'm not sure if it's correct, but I read that she was unhappy because she had not pursued her dream of becoming a nightclub singer and turned down singing opportunities because Gary wanted her to. He did not support her in this endeavor. In August of 1983, Gary and June separated, with Gary leaving the family home. By this time, Jeff was seen there fairly frequently, and it was reported that Jeff helped June financially during this difficult time. And Kath, I read that June had actually gone dancing with Jeff, but again, I don't know if that's true. On Sunday, February 19th, 1984, now Jody is 11 years old at this point, Jeff came to the Plochet home. One of his karate students' families were building a big house, and Jeff's brother had the carpet installing contract. Jeff asked June if he could borrow her car, saying he needed to check on the carpet at the new home. She said, don't take too long, and he told her that he would only be gone a few minutes and told Jody to come along. Expecting Jody and Jeff to return within a half hour, June was upset when they were not home hours later. Not only did Jeff have her car, but the following day was a school day. That evening, June received a call from Jeff's mother in Port Arthur, Texas. She said that Jody was at her house with Jeff and that they were okay and safe and that they would be home first thing in the morning. The next day was Monday and June was upset about that because Jody would be missing school and told them to get home as soon as possible. The next day, when they did not return, June called her brother again, who was in law enforcement, as well as Major Mike Barnett of the Baton Rouge Sheriff's Department. 
This was a guy, Kath, who knew June and Gary. He apparently dated June at some point long ago and knew Gary in high school. June explained the situation to Major Barnett and she said she was scared because she had not heard from her son. As it turns out, there was an arrest warrant for Jeff Doucette. The business that he helped the children create to sell LSU mugs and bandanas was real. However, he was given a $7,500 check to buy supplies to sell at the convenience store. And rather than buy supplies, he cashed the check himself. So he had this felony theft charge hanging out there and a warrant was issued for his arrest. And June finds this out as her son is missing. So on Tuesday, and Jody and Jeff left Sunday, Major Barnett and June drove the three hours to Port Arthur, Texas to bring back June's son. When they arrived, they were told by Jeff's mother that the two had left an hour ago and that she didn't know where they went. They were nowhere to be found. Not knowing where Jody was, June knew she had to tell Gary that their son was missing. Kath? She told him on day four of Jody going missing. As the father, I would be more than a little irritated if I wasn't told immediately that I was told on day four. Gotta say. Needless to say, Gary was distraught and immediately called the FBI. Jeff Doucette was indicted for kidnapping in his absence and an arrest warrant was issued. A week after Jody had last been seen, June's phone rang. Doucette was calling June and told her, don't tell anyone that he called. He then proceeded to order June to bring her other children and their school transcripts, kind of implying like they were going to live together as a family. He instructed her to meet him in California, where they filmed the TV show Hill Street Blues. She said that it was her only chance if she ever wanted to see Jody again. June, of course, had been in touch with the police, so they helped her in her response. She told Jeff, Gary might use this to get custody of all the children if you don't bring Jody back. This pissed Jeff off, and he said, If the court gives Gary the kids, I'll get them from him. Jeff allowed June to speak to Jody several times over the next few days, but unbeknownst to Jeff, law enforcement was listening. He told her that if she wanted to see Jody again, she would bring her other three kids to New York to meet them. So, Kath, June was getting frustrated. So, even though law enforcement was listening and she was so eager to speak with her son, Jeff Doucette was not giving them any clues as to where they were. So, first he tells her, come to California. Then he tells her, come to New York. So, they're just waiting for an opportunity for him to just make a mistake. Exactly. During the next phone call, Jeff did make a mistake. So, as we said, when June talked to Jody, she was trying to get information from him. She wanted to make sure he was okay, of course, but she also was trying to find out where they were. Jody wasn't able to give her any information, but thankfully, during one of the phone calls, Jeff made an error. Apparently, he had run out of money, so the call he made to June was collect. June accepted the charges, but asked the operator at the time for time and charges. This happens at the end of the call. So the operator stays on the phone, waits until the party who's called you hangs up, and then will come on the phone and say, you spoke for 35 seconds and it will cost you 95 cents. But what that does is wherever this call is coming from, it keeps that local operator on the phone. So after Jeff hung up and the operator starts to give June this information, one of the deputy sheriffs got on the line and said, ma'am, this is the sheriff's office. We're investigating a kidnapping and we need to know where did this call originate from? The operator gave the address of a motel in Anaheim, California, which is about 30 miles south of Los Angeles. The Baton Rouge County Sheriff notified California authorities immediately, then prepared to go to California. The call came from room 38 of the Samoa Motel, just blocks away from Disneyland. 
On February 29, 1984, after 10 days of being gone, FBI burst through the door and found Jeff and Jody watching the TV sitcom one day at a time. Officers had guns drawn and pointed at both of them. Agents quickly guided Jody out of the room, and he heard one of the agents tell Jeff that he wanted to punch him in the mouth. Jeff's beard and mustache had been shaved, and Jody's blonde hair was dyed black to make him look like Jeff's son. Jody was interviewed in the pool area of the motel. He was asked where he slept. He was asked what he was wearing when he was sleeping and other circumstantial questions. He was asked if Jeff touched him and Jody said no. Jody was then taken to the hospital for an evaluation and slept that night at a home for neglected children. Jody was reunited with his family the next day on March 1st, 1984, which was 11 days after last seeing them. He arrived at the New Orleans airport in a flurry of news media, taking pictures and shoving microphones in his face. Now, Kath, what was interesting, I saw an interview of him and he was saying that he's irritated. He gets off the plane and he's immediately angry that all these people are there. And his mother leans down and hugs him and whispers in his ear, smile. And I thought that was so interesting because it means either one of two things. Number one is it's all about appearances. And the second thing is you've had a rough time, but you're not going to let it get you down. I can't tell which is which. I don't know what she meant or why she suggested he smile, but I thought it was interesting. That is interesting. Honestly, when I saw that, my first thought was it was all about appearances because in 1984, that was very much a thing. That would have been the time. Yeah. Right. The first thing June did with Jody when she got him home was try to get the black dye out of his hair. So she tried to re-dye it blonde, which apparently that doesn't work. work. Yeah. yeah. Years later, in an interview, he was laughing about it, saying she should have just buzzed it off. <laughs> she should have. I yeah. had a niece who recently dyed her hair brown and she has blonde hair and she has spent the last year trying to get it back to blonde. Right. Because that's the hardest <laughs> thing you can do. It is. On March 9th, 1984, just a week after Jody's return, Sheriff's Major Mike Barnett paid a visit to the Plochet home where Gary was now living. He told Jody's parents that he had been given the medical report from the hospital in California. It showed that Jody had, in fact, been molested. Apparently, they found sperm during his examination. Major Burnett also reported that while in California, Jeff Doucette reportedly admitted to FBI agents as well as Baton Rouge deputies that he took advantage of Jody along with some other children that he had been coaching in karate. Major Barnett had the unenviable job of alerting the other parents. We know there was at least one more boy, but we don't know for sure if there were more than one. During this conversation, Gary told Major Barnett that he was going to kill Doucette. Gary's state of mind started deteriorating. He was panicking, angry, and afraid because of all the pain that his son had endured. The day Jody's parents found out that Doucette had molested him, Jody's mom picked him up from the bus stop after school and told him what was stated in the report, which he didn't understand. His mom said something to him like, it means he messed with you. Jody then told his mother the truth, and it was far worse than she could have ever imagined. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither, <laughs> despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone, and so do you. As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German, and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall, and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. 
Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Jody was 11, just shy of his 12th birthday when he was kidnapped. As it turned out, Doucette had been molesting him for about a year. It began slowly with little touches here and there and escalated to a full-blown violation. Kath, it was interesting because I watched a couple interviews of Jody as an adult. And these were on, one of them was on a podcast called Unforbidden Truth with Andrew Dodge. And one was on the YouTube channel Black Bigelow. What Jody was saying was that he was groomed and his family was groomed. And of course, he's developed a lot of theories about why he was chosen. Number one, he was a very handsome kid. He was super darling. When you look at pictures, he's just a cutie pie. He said, have you seen pictures of me when I was little? He knew that about himself, like he really was darling. But he also said that he looks back now and realizes that Gisette was testing him. For example, he said the very first time he was touched was when he was driving Doucette's 280Z. I actually think it was Doucette's sisters. But anyway, what Doucette would do is let the kids steer the wheel while he did the shift change. And Jody said that the very first time he was touched, he was doing that. And then Doucette put his hand on Jody's lap and Jody did not react. He said he thought it was weird and a little bit strange and off, but he pretended it didn't happen. So his theory is that had he been like, oh my God, what are you doing? That's so weird. Maybe he would not have been the boy that was chosen. And he said the second time was when they were on a camp out. There were four people in a tent, two boys on one side, then Desette, then Jody on the other side. And he said Desette was able to roll toward Jody, kind of like blocking the view and fondle him. And Jody just pretended he was sleeping. He didn't want to deal with it. The next day, Desette says to Jody, you can't tell anybody. And he goes, what are you talking about? Like he just pretended he just didn't feel anything or know or whatever. And showed he was the victim that Doucette was looking for. And I don't mean that in a negative against Jody. It was his willingness to ignore something that was clearly not right that was happening. And Doucette knew that he would never tell his parents. And frankly, when you think about that, that is such a natural child reaction. I would believe most children would react that way. Yeah. As an adult, Jody looks back, obviously, and is very analytical about the situation and talks about how the family was groomed. It wasn't just him. It was the family. Oh, yeah. The parents had to trust him. Exactly. And Jody liked him. He was very generous. They did fun things. Yet this thing was happening that Jody at some point couldn't ignore. And from the time of the initial fondling to actually a full-blown violation was probably a couple months. And so at the time Jody was kidnapped, I believe that he had been getting raped daily for like nine months or something. Hey, who needs to learn to drive? 
seriously, who needs to learn to drive? <laughs> or which friend of yours needs to learn to drive so they'll stop using you as their personal rideshare service. But without the tips. <laughs> if you live in the Southern California counties of Los Angeles and Orange, Premium Driving School can help. Their certified instructors will help you pass your permit test, learn how to drive and get your license. And you'll be learning in a late model Mini Cooper. So that's fun. That's the best part. Premium Driving School offers a number of packages, including behind-the-wheel driving lesson packages for teens and adults and refresher driving skills lessons for mature and senior drivers. Maybe I should have Dick and Laura go there. (laughs) (laughs) Those are Kathy's parents, and I think you're actually right. (laughs) They could use it. (laughs) Lessons are available seven days a week and are based on each person's individual skill and ability level. Premium Driving School is here to help you learn how to drive and become a confident and safe driver and... It has a five-star Google rating. For more information, go to their website, learntodrivetoday.com. Learn, the number two, drivetoday.com. And with the code KILLERD, they'll give you a 10% discount on your lessons. If you're like Kathy and I, and you enjoy a nice glass of wine, but you're not a connoisseur, let Dracaena Wines be your guide. Dracaena is the creation of Lori and Michael, a husband and wife team who both have science backgrounds. Michael is a food chemist and Lori was a microbiologist. So these two nerds did the hard work for us. (laughs) And we mean that in the most complimentary way. Most complimentary way. (laughs) My husband and I actually met Lori in Paso Robles. She was phenomenal and introduced me to her Cabernet Franc, which is to die for. They actually specialize in Cabernet Franc, Rosé and Chenin Blanc. And for the last 10 years, every vintage of their wines has received a 90 plus rating from wine enthusiasts. That's no surprise. It's so good. The name Dracaena is the genus name of the Draco tree, and Draco was the name of their beloved Weimariner. So all you dog lovers out there got to buy their wine. <laughs> because they donate to dog charities. And you will get 10% off if you use the code KILLER. And they have a wine club that's called the Chalk Club, which I love. That's named after their dog named Vegas. Right. Their second Weimariner. Exactly. And that's because in Vegas, if you're betting chalk, you are betting on all the favorites. And they are taking the gamble that once you taste their wine, like Kathy with a C did, they will become one of your favorites. Not only are their wines delicious, they're reasonably priced. So to make a purchase, go to DracinaWines.com. D-R-A-C-A-E-N-A Wines.com. And on this site, there's a link to their weekly podcast and weekly blog posts. And you'll also find links to all of their socials. Jody told his mother that after leaving to check the carpeting on the day of the kidnapping, Doucette asked Jody if he wanted to go to California. Jody, of course, said yes. So they drove June's car to Gonzales, Louisiana, which was about 30 miles south of Baton Rouge, where Jeff's brother lived, and they got sleeping bags and clothes. Then they proceeded to go back and forth between Texas and Louisiana, hitting up Doucette's relatives for money. Once they had some cash, they headed to Port Arthur, Texas, where Doucette's mother lived, and took a bus to California. We had said that June and Major Mike Barnett went to Port Arthur to look for them. They missed Jody and Jeff by one hour. Doucette and Jody arrived in Los Angeles at about 3 a.m. and actually hung out at the bus terminal for a few hours. Jody said that when they left the terminal... They actually came across an episode of Hill Street Blues that was being filmed, and this was Jeff's favorite show, which was part of the reason why early on he had told Jody's mom, meet us where Hill Street Blues is being filmed. Doucette and Jody sat there and watched the filming for about three hours. Then Jeff actually got a very brilliant, if not manipulative and illegal idea. 
Jeff went to a newsstand and bought a karate magazine and found a guy in Los Angeles who was well known in the karate world. Jeff was also starting to get known on the circuit, so he called him, told him who he was, and let him know that his van had been stolen and asked to borrow $600. He got it by Western Union. Then Doucette and Jody spent the night at a Hilton in downtown Los Angeles, so they were living large on the 600 bucks. They were. And eventually wound up 30 miles south in Anaheim. At that time, it was easy to find pay-per-day motels around Disneyland, which I actually think it's still pretty easy today, too. Not as bad as it was back then, but they're there. Yeah. After the FBI broke down the motel room door, Doucette spent time in the Orange County Jail pending a court order to extradite him to Louisiana. Doucette was set to return to Baton Rouge on March 16th, nearly two weeks after Jody was returned to his family. And I got to tell you, Kath, for 1984, I am super impressed that they were able to find him halfway across the country in such a short amount of time. I know. And thank God he made that collect call. It was the making that collect call because, I mean, that was back at a time when you actually could be anonymous if you wanted to be. There's no cameras. There's no cell phones. Nobody could track you. Yep. You can change your name, get fake IDs. All that stuff was much easier, obviously. Ah, those were the days. (laughs) (laughs) On March 16th, Gary was at a bar. And there was a local TV reporter named Bob Stills who was sitting in the bar as well. He asked Gary when Jeff was going to return home, and Gary said he thought he was already here. The reporter said, no, he wasn't. And Gary said, well, they're not going to tell me. So the reporter said, hey, I'll find out. No problem. He goes to a payphone and makes a call to the station and then went back and told Gary he's coming in tonight at nine o'clock. That evening, as Jeff Doucette walked off American Airlines Flight 595, over 100 passengers were deboarding with him. A crowd of news reporters were swarming around to try to get a statement and video of Doucette. TV cameras were filming his every move, and as Doucette walked by a row of payphones, a man who had been talking on the payphone suddenly turned around and shot Doucette in the head. It was Gary Plochet wearing a white baseball cap and sunglasses. He had been talking on the phone to a friend at that moment and telling him what he was about to do. His friend begged him and tried to make him stop, but Gary was on a mission. Major Mike Barnett, who was escorting Doucette, was heard to yell, Why, Gary? Why'd you do it? And Barnett grabbed him and took his gun. And you could hear Gary say, If someone did it to your kid, you'd do it too. Doucette was taken to the hospital, where he was kept on life support until his mother could see him. He died the next day. This was the first prisoner killed on live TV since Lee Harvey Oswald was killed by Jack Ruby in 1963. Gary was immediately arrested, and deputies moved the handcuffs from Doucette's wrists to Gary's. The reporter who leaked the information to Gary was fired immediately. And Kath, one of the things that I thought was very interesting was there was an editorial in the San Francisco Chronicle, and it was entitled something like Killed on Live TV. And this journalist was basically blasting CBS for playing this video at all where a human being was actually killed. They played it on the nightly news. It garnered national headlines, and it was incredibly dramatic, as you can imagine. But it was viewed by this columnist and probably many journalists of the time to be completely classless. Standards were different back then. Totally. And so it's incredible how times have changed. Where the more dramatic the footage, the better. Right. You know, if I'm a 13-year-old girl getting my butt kicked, 
there's 27 people who can help me, but instead they're filming the whole thing on their cameras. So yes, times definitely have changed. It turns out that June was very concerned about this exact thing happening. And she had told her friend, Major Mike Barnett, I'm really concerned that Gary's going to kill this guy. And he had a partner with him who was also tasked with getting to set back safely. Both of them said, don't worry about it. You know, we've been handling fugitives. It's going to be fine. And so nobody intentionally told Gary when Doucette was due back. Which is why the reporter was fired. Exactly. As it turns out, June was watching the news that night when she heard a teaser. Unknown assailant guns down kidnappers. Film at 11. She knew immediately that Gary had killed Doucette. Sadly, Doucette's mother also found out about her son's death through the news when she watched her son get killed on television. Jody found out about his father's actions the next morning while at his grandparents' house. His mother told him, last night, daddy shot Jeff. Jody began crying, upset that his father would do such a thing. Kath, one of the things when Jody was giving an interview as an adult that kept him from actually telling on Jeff was that he believed his dad would kill him. And he also believed that Jeff was not going to get in trouble. He did not believe that Jeff would ever be sent to jail. So that's part of the reason he just kept the secret. Gary Plochet was charged with second degree murder and released on a $100,000 bond, which was posted by a friend. Gary's lawyer had him committed to a psychiatric ward where he remained for about a month. As you can imagine, when this happened, this was huge news in Louisiana, with people on both sides of the issue weighing in. A defense fund was set up for Gary at Bank of the South, and people began donating right away. With a lost income, lawyer fees to pay, and a reputation that was being questioned, the Plochet family needed a lot of support. But then, as you can imagine, Kath, the media spin began. It was interesting, Kath, because Gary had a lawyer, and his name was Foster Sanders. And it was rumored that he had the nickname Foxy Sanders, which I thought was so funny. And he actually took every opportunity to speak to the media and skew things in favor of his client. As you can imagine, the Doucette clan was very upset about what happened. They felt that their family member had been executed. They were trying to get their side heard, saying that they did not believe this happened. They thought that Gary killed Doucette because he was jealous of the relationship that June and Doucette supposedly had. After being at the psychiatric hospital for about a month, Gary returned home and actually moved back in with the family. Jody was standoffish. He didn't want to be around his dad. And he was upset that his father's actions revealed to the world that he had been molested by a man. Jody had no intention of ever talking about being sexually abused. He was in the sixth grade at this point, And now the entire world knew what happened to him. That would be so hard. Absolutely. He was madder that people found out. But while all of this was happening, with his dad being in the psychiatric hospital and going through some of the legal issues, Jody got used to having freedom at home because there was no structure. He could do whatever he wanted. But when Gary returned to live with the family, all of a sudden, Jody was having a hard time because Gary was enforcing the house rules. He had a bedtime. He needed to know where he was going. He had chores, what have you. Yeah, he basically had about six months of freedom when his dad was not living in the house. In one of his interviews, he was saying that Jody returned to his family in March and he's walking to a community pool with his dad, say in like July. And he says, Dad, I'm not mad at you anymore. We're good. And he said that his dad really appreciated him saying that and just sort of 
acknowledging it. And then they kind of went back into the smooth relationship that they had previously. So it was a funky number of months and an angry number of months, but then things chilled out. As it turned out during court proceedings, a psychiatrist determined that Gary was unable to tell the difference between right and wrong when he killed Doucette. Gary had been driven into a temporary psychotic state. The psychiatrist determined that Doucette was skilled at manipulating others and took advantage of the fact that the Plochet family was no longer a single unit. The judge determined that there was practically no risk of Gary committing another crime. In a plea bargain with prosecutors, Gary pled guilty to manslaughter. The judge gave him a seven-year suspended sentence with five years probation and 300 hours of community service. Doucette's family believed that justice had not been served. They believed the very least Gary should have pleaded to was second-degree murder. Gary Plochet completed his 300 hours of community service in 1989. Jody went on to graduate from Louisiana State University and used his experience to help others. In college, he served on the executive board for Men Against Violence in college. This was an organization that advocated for victims of sexual assault and other physical violence. He went to work as a sexual assault counselor at Victim Services Center in Norristown, Pennsylvania, where he worked his way up to be supervisor of community education programs. Jody provided crisis intervention for sexual assault victims on the agency's 24-hour hotline, as well as in-person support in hospitals and police stations. He facilitated sexual violence risk reduction programs for students ranging from pre-K through college. Jody also presented numerous professional trainings for police officers, hospital staff, parents, and school administrators, and currently presents professional and college trainings about sexual violence risk reduction throughout the country. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Jody's father, Gary, died in 2014 at the age of 68. Five years later in 2019, Jody wrote a book about his experiences entitled Why Gary Why, which of course was what Major Barnett asked him when he took his gun away from him at the airport after he shot Doucette. In the book, Jody speaks very honestly about his abuse. And it's funny, Kath, because he would say things to interviewers like, I am way more comfortable answering these questions than you are asking them. He was very factual about his own experience and honest in every detail. And what I loved is when you 
listened to him speak about the experience, he brought up the reality of the emotional nuances when you are groomed by a pedophile who otherwise treats you well and is supposed to care for you. And he pointed out there's many different forms of pedophilia, but this was his experience. And he uses his experience to convey to children that they may experience physical responses during a molestation, but that is simply biology. It doesn't mean it's their fault. It doesn't mean they're enjoying it. And it doesn't mean they are to blame. So his whole point is don't hide in your shame. You can get help and be okay. And he also points out that it's critical for parents and adults to realize this as well. Because what he said is if children have a biological response, what happens is they hit like 13, 14, 15, and they start blaming themselves like, oh, I had a response. It must be my fault. And his point is, no, it's not. That's just a biological response. It's not your fault. And one thing that he knew when this was happening to him was that he knew it was bad because Jeff Doucette was telling him not to tell anybody. He knew he was having a biological reaction to it, but he also knew it was never his fault. And he talks about Jeff, in hindsight, as an adult, being a sociopath, being a piece of you-know-what, is what he called him. Ultimately, Jody Plachet's message is this. Though you went through something horrific, you're not ruined. You're not damaged goods. And with proper support, you can have a really happy life. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the story as much as we enjoyed telling it. (laughs) Rate us, review us, Mm -hmm. and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Only five stars are allowed. Remember that.